You know, when I arrived on the campus of Atlanta Christian College in 1998, dating myself, I felt completely lost. You know, it was a small campus, about 400 full-time students, but it was enough to make my head spin. I can remember it like it's yesterday. You know, after moving from Ohio to North Carolina between my junior and senior year, I'd already been a bit displaced. And then when I made another move from North Carolina to Georgia for college, I'd never even been in Georgia. I didn't even come to visit the campus before I arrived. You know, if I'd have known how difficult it was going to be to move five and a half hours from home, I might have reconsidered before I came on down to Georgia. You know, I didn't even have a car my first year. I lived totally on campus and was dependent for transportation. And also, I, you know, honestly, I, I know you can't imagine this, but I didn't have a lot of self-confidence at the time. So looking within myself for strength was kind of a lost cause. You know, I tried looking to other people, but since I didn't know anybody, I looked to my new roommate. I still remember, it was maybe the first couple of days that we were together in our little dorm room there in Atlanta Christian College, and I was saying, man, we're going to have lots of time to get to know each other. He just kind of looked at me like, and he said something to the effect of, we'll be together maybe this year. And sure enough, after the first year, we, we changed roommates. And it was okay. But I was looking at him. I was looking outside myself. And I had one more place to look for security. This is kind of like my Hail Mary. You know, in high school, I played basketball. I played at small Christian schools. So I, I wasn't fantastic, but I was average. You know, I was a good contributor, a good role player. And so I tried out for the Bible College basketball team, thinking, surely I've got a good chance. Well, I didn't make it. I tried on a second year, and I didn't make the team. So everywhere I looked to kind of stabilize myself and steady myself, it's like God was closing doors. It wasn't that I wasn't a good basketball player. <laughs> but, you know, looking back, if I had made the team, I probably would have stabilized enough to where I didn't need to lean on God like I ended up doing. College was a very transformative time for me. So I believe sometimes God arranges your and my circumstances so that we're more likely to acknowledge him and to trust him. And I believe that during that season of my life, he did not want me to lean on anything. Because if I'd have made the ball team, some of those guys, they weren't great guys. And I think my life would have had a very different direction. But God did not give me anything to prop myself up on. He wanted me to trust him. You know, when hard times come, we tend to look in one of the following three places. Within ourselves, right? You know, what, what resources do I have to bring to bear financially and otherwise? How can I fix this? How can I make this better myself? If that doesn't work, then we look around, right? Who, who can I look to? Who, who's at my disposal? What kind of people are in my life that I can look to to help me fix this or make this better? But then finally, when we've exhausted all of our options, it's when we look to God. And it's almost always as a last resort, we look to ourselves first, and then we look to others. And when we have no other, when we run out of options, then we look to God. So why is this? Why, why, why do we tend to do that? We don't look to Him first; we look to Him last. I believe it's because we kind of see God as a spiritual parachute. Now, follow me in this. It's like a spiritual parachute. So when we're plummeting toward an undesirable result, we can pull the ripcord. And God will help us make a safe landing to avert disaster, right? We're crashing, we're crashing, pull the ripcord, there's God. God, that was a close one, thanks. 
But that's the way that we tend to operate, right? We'll handle this ourselves, or we'll lean on our friends and family, but then when we have no other options, we pull the ripcord and, thanks God, safe landing. Today we're going to look at a story where mankind chose to disobey God's command to fill the earth and subdue it. And I believe that out of love and concern, God chooses to act decisively to compel them to submit to his command. Turn to Genesis chapter 11. We're going to just going to be covering verses 1 through 9 this morning. And our story picks up after the resolution of the story of the flood in Genesis 6. And this is the continuing story of Noah's descendants and what they did with their second chance. Genesis chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. I'm just going to read the entire section, and then we're going to pull out a few lessons this morning. Verse 1. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. So they, got, they all spoke the same language. How is it now? Anybody ever been abroad? What's it like when you can't ask where the bathroom is? Is it fun? It's, 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 it can get real dicey. So they had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city. This seems like a reasonable thing to do, right? I mean, they don't have anywhere to settle, so they're going to build a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, if there's one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. So God is not happy with this arrangement. We're going to explore why this morning. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So God acts decisively. He, he muddies the waters. He confuses them. And they, since they can no longer communicate, they, they're going to stop trusting each other and stop collaborating. And so the Lord used this. He scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. And from there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. So the first idea this morning is that God issued a command for them to scatter and fill the earth. But the question is why? huh? You know, what they're doing made a lot of sense. And God says, no, scatter and fill the earth. Spread apart from the people that you know and that you trust. And strike out on your own. You know, obviously creation needed to be managed. When you go back to the story of Adam and Eve, God gave them jobs to do to manage creation. But I believe there's an important lesson embedded in this command. You know, Adam had an intimate relationship with God in the beginning. You remember, they walked together. They talked daily. But as soon as another human being was introduced into the mix, it wasn't long before man started depending on each other. And then they started to leave God out. And then they began to distrust that God had their best interest at heart. And then ultimately they disobeyed him and brought sin into the world. So I believe that one reason God wanted them to spread out was to create space and opportunity for man to learn to trust and depend on God. That's why he learned to spread. He knew that if they clumped together and they got all their needs met, then they were, they were much less likely to turn to him. 
So why would they need God? You know, if, if they're all together, why would they need God? Because they had each other. They wouldn't. Isn't this where you and I trip up? You know, as I've already mentioned, we're a very resourced people. I mean, we have money, transportation, telecommunications, the internet, friends and family literally available at our fingertips, right? We can text, we can, we can Skype across the world. We have everything we need. So when we run into trouble, you and I don't feel like we have no options, right? I mean, it used to be way back when you didn't have a cell phone, you know, back in the Stone Age, and you got into trouble out on the road. You were in trouble, right? You had to go to a call box to get help. Now we just text. So we don't feel like we have no options. It's only when you and I run out of options that we turn to God. Secondly, these people, they chose instead to settle and establish a residence. Again, a reasonable thing to do. What would inspire their actions? So as we've already said, the descendants of Ham, Sham, and Japheth, Noah's sons, increased they moved eastward and they were faced with a decision because they knew what God had commanded. Those guys did. Not sure if everybody knew, but they were aware of what God had commanded to spread out and scatter. So they had a decision to trust God's directions or to choose a different path. So why would this be the path that they chose to build a city and to build a tower? Well, let's read their own words. They said, so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. So first of they wanted a place, like, like up there it says, to settle. Why would they want to settle in one place? Because there's safety in numbers, firstly. You know, when your child asks to go somewhere, what's the first thing you want to know? Who's going to be there, right? And why do we want to know that? Especially if they're going out. Because there's safety in numbers. These people were thinking, if we spread out, if we go our own way, if I have my own plot of land, I have to build my own home, I have to raise my own food, and I've got to watch my own back, then that's going to be a risky choice. But if we all stay together, you know, I build my house here, Sam, you build your house next to mine, Joe, you build your house next to mine, then we're going to be safe, and we can watch out for each other. And imagine a whole community like that. They could have had a marketplace. They could have established city governments. Much smarter decision. Much safer in numbers. Secondly, they'd have a group to identify with. You know, what's the first question that we ask each other when we, when we meet for the first time? Where are you from, right? Where are you from? Why do we do that? Do you feel connected to where you're home, to your hometown? Who's from out of state? Who's from here? Do you feel connected to your hometown? A little bit proud about your hometown? Maybe, maybe the place where you went to school? Why are we like that? We identify with it, right? And so they wanted a place, a group to identify with. And then lastly, a place to draw attention to themselves and here's the caveat, rather than acknowledging and trusting God. So they're looking for significance in this story. They get it from identifying with a group. You know, how do we do that today? A nationality, an ethnicity, a religion, maybe a sports team. I've already told you I'm an Ohio State fan. Some people will never forgive me for that, and it's okay. Urban Meyer's our coach. I know he's the enemy. But 
Man is looking for significance from identifying with a group. And as God said, they're achieving great things. Man, they can build. They can build a tower. They can build a city. They can accomplish a lot. They can look out for each other. So what in this is, what in this is a bad idea? Why is it that God looks down and says, uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. This is going in the wrong direction. I need to do something about this. So in this story, you know, God has given a clear direction. And if they acknowledge God, they're going to have to make a decision. To trust God and to obey God. Or to choose not to trust and to disobey God. Now in this story, again, we don't know for sure if mankind had acknowledged God. I mean, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Their descendants are in the mix. We don't know how many people we're talking about here. It might be a whole lot of folks. So maybe they weren't even aware that God had made this directive, but maybe they were. But either way, they don't acknowledge him, and they don't obey him. But the key question for me this morning is, you know, God in this story. So God sees this situation. He sees things that we wouldn't think are bad. He sees people making what seem like smart choices. And he says, uh-oh. This is heading in the wrong direction. So God intervened on their behalf is the third point. God intervened on their behalf. So just to give you a little bit of context, when you're not really sure what's happening in a passage of Scripture, it's a good thing to look after. But most important, look ahead. Look behind. What happened first? What happened that's caused what is now happening? So what if God had left them alone? Think about back to the flood. You know what? What did we learn in that story? That man's every inclination of his heart was evil all the time. And then the story before that, when you look at Cain and Abel, Satan didn't have to suggest sin to Cain, so man's heart is already becoming corrupt. So in the Tower of Babel, if mankind is naturally leaning in the wrong direction, and they're looking to each other to meet all of their needs, then condemnation and damnation, it's coming. It's imminent. It's going to happen. If God lets things go as they're going at this point, he's going to have a repeat of the flood. Except water is no longer an option, right? He's made a promise he's not going to do that again. But if he allows man to continue on the path that he's on, you're going to end up at a point of no return again. And so God sees that, and he knows out of care and concern for mankind, he needs to do something. He needs to step in and course correct and get them on the right path, or at least put them in a situation where they're going to be more likely to trust in him. So he has to force their hand. He forces man to follow his original directions to scatter and fill the earth. You know, this is part of God's plan. He had to respond to man's rebellion. But he also had to respond to man's independence. Also, God did not inspire or cause man to do this evil. As we see, evil was his own idea. So God, seeing where man was headed, chose to arrange circumstances so that they would be more likely to cry out to him. So I'd also submit to you that God affects our circumstances to get our attention. So God, out of love and care for his people, and today out of love and care for us, often will intervene in our lives. He will affect our circumstances 
in order to get our attention. What was he getting their attention for in this story? He's trying to let them know, hey, you're headed down the wrong path. And I've got to uh, intervene. I've got to help you change directions because you're headed in the wrong, you're headed, you're headed toward hurt. You're headed toward a hard time. And as parents, that's what we, when we see that for our kids. And kids, I know you're not in a place yet where you see the big picture, but when mom and dad say, hey, you know, you don't see where this is going yet, but I can see. I know where it's going, and I, because I love you, I'm going to have to take action. Because that's what's happening. So for you today, are there some circumstances in your life that God is using to try to get your attention? Is there something that he's allowed, or is there something that he has caused that he's using to try to get your attention? Maybe it's a health challenge. Maybe it's a financial challenge. Maybe there's a, a difficult relationship in your life. Maybe there's something job-related. What is God using to try to get your attention? Maybe he didn't cause it, but he wants to use it. And our big idea today is that God intervenes like in this story. He arranges circumstances where we're more likely to acknowledge and trust him. Maybe he's asking you right now, are you ready to trust me? Are you ready to stop looking within yourself for strength and answers? And, and we're good at that, right? I mean, we can Google it. We have so much access to resources and technology, and we can find the answers, and we can fix it ourselves. And God's saying, are you ready to trust me, though? Are you ready to stop looking within yourself? And are you ready to stop looking to others to meet your needs? Because that's always our second option. He's saying, look to me. Only I can meet your needs. Only I can order your steps. You know, maybe you and I need to learn to take Steps of faith in order to avoid a crisis of faith. And this is a key point because our tendency is to wait until things get really bad before we cry out to God and pull the ripcord and help and ask him to step in and save us from the mess that maybe we've created. But if we'll take steps of faith, intentionally stretch ourselves, do hard things like we talked about in the story of Job. He did hard things and that prepared him for hard times. That will help us to avoid a crisis of faith. But if you and I, and our tendency is this, we do everything within our power to avoid hard things, right? We want everything to be safe. We want risk to be avoided. And so when hard times come, it becomes a crisis. But as we see in this story, and this is a little bit of a warning for us, God is willing to cause or allow crisis in our lives in order to jumpstart our faith. And why is that? The reason is that he cares about us. God cares about us. And nothing is more important than our faith in the Lord. Nothing. You ever seen somebody whose life was on track, everything was going great, but you saw their heart start to stray? There was a story I saw several months ago. There was a basketball coach. He was a basketball coach for a Division I team. He was, his team had just won like the, the division title. They were on track to compete for a national championship. And his heart went astray. And he was unfaithful. And he lost his family. And his life began to unravel. 
And then fast forwarded five or six years, and he's in Vietnam coaching some D-League team, and he's overweight, and he's unhappy, and eventually the man passes away, a broken man, because he had it all. He had everything he wanted. He was on, he was on the fast track to success, and he let the enemy in the back door, and it wrecked his life, and that's... God cares about us. And so he's willing to allow some hardship. He's willing to allow some pain into your life because your faith is that important. Because your faith affects every area of your life. It affects every area of my life. And it will affect our eternal destiny. It's that important. What if we would learn to trust God rather than trusting in ourselves or others? Would we pursue security and significance like the people of Babel if we had a thriving relationship with God? You know, our friends in China would try so hard to position themselves for success. I mean, this was life or death for them. In fact, one friend described it to us like this. He said, it's like I live my whole life on a stage. I make sure to say all the right things and do all the right things to position myself for the best chance of success. Because in China, you know, there's a big, a big piece in their lives that they call guanxi. It's what we would describe as a networking relationship. It's people that we don't know personally. We, we're not close, but we need them. We need them to get things done. We need people in positions of authority to help grease the wheels for us to get what we need. And so, can you imagine the emptiness of that life? living your entire life on a stage, performing the right functions to secure what you need so that you'll be okay. And you know, we're not all that different here in America, I've realized. We're very careful to build our lives around money, around possessions, and relationships that will ensure our way of life and ensure our security. But what if we could learn to pursue God first? Rather than what we normally do, which is to turn to God last, let's look to God first. Let's cry out to Him. Let's, let's plead with Him to order our steps and provide for our needs. And then, when we see it happen, when He gives us what we need, when He provides through us through people, we can praise Him. And it will build our faith. Rather than turning to God last when it's already a crisis of faith, and we feel like God has abandoned us, and he's left us alone. If we would turn to him first, if we would cry out to him first, then we could see everything as a faith-building opportunity because we know that God's hand has been in it all along. You know, that'd be a lot better than calling out to him out of frustration. <coughs> Come on, God, where were you? You know, I got myself in this big mess. You know, you didn't, you didn't clue me in to the fact that I was headed toward a hard time. Or desperation, God, I'm, I'm, I'm at the end of my rope. I have no other options. Things are terrible. God desires for you and I to trust Him. And He's willing to arrange our circumstances for our benefit. And He will, inter, he will even intervene to teach us to put our trust only so will we learn from our circumstances and be willing to see our circumstances as agents of divine intervention? Because I know in my life, when I'm, not, when I'm not paying attention, anybody ever go on autopilot? Anybody? Yeah, absolutely. 
We go on autopilot in our lives. We're just kind of cruising along, not paying attention. And then things blow up. And then, we're, then we, we find our, our faith is shaken. And we, under, we wonder, where, where's God? What's going on? But when something, when everything falls apart, if we learn to ask the question, okay, God is up to something, and what is God trying to teach me? What, what is God up to in this situation? He, he's moving. He's trying to teach me something. What if we learn to see our circumstances as agents of divine intervention? You know, I would encourage you and encourage myself, let's look to God first, both to fuel our reliance on him and honestly to limit the need for his intervention. So here's, here's the carrot that's being dangled. If we'll learn to trust God first, if we'll look to him Faithfully, we'll allow him to order our steps and arrange our life for us. And we're kind of conditioned to be looking for his involvement all along the way. Then is he going to need to intervene dramatically? No. He can just focus on blessing and leading us rather than intervening and disciplining and correcting us. Now, I don't know which side of the equation you'd prefer to be on, but I know which side I'd like to be on. So let's look to God first so that he can order our steps and so that we can live the kind of life that he's called us to and the kind of life that he wants to bless us with and bless others with. Pray with God, thank you so much um, for this opportunity to be here in your house and with my friends. And we're so thankful for your word that though it doesn't change, God, it continues to give us instruction and guidance in our daily lives today. And so, God, I pray that as we step out of this building into our cars and back into our weekly grind or routine, God, that we would be paying attention, that we would be asking you every morning, God, lead me, guide me, teach me to trust you, and that we would see evidence, God, of your involvement in our lives every day as you arrange opportunities for us to share our faith and to be a blessing. And God, help us to pay attention when hard times come. And rather than being frustrated and angry with you, let us be attentive and let us be inviting of your input so that you can help us head in the direction that you've called us to go. It's in Jesus' name I pray.